praise. Sometimes we need to just get over ourselves and stand before the mighty King. Praise is for Him. We need to learn how to worship Him. say this and you've probably heard it a million times but before the foundation of the world before man was even created angels worshipped God day and night around the throne crying holy 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 Jesus was born in Bethlehem the house of bread in the tribe, in the, in, the, in the village of Judah. Judah in the Hebrew means praise. Our king was born in the land of praise. Angels rejoice at the coming of the Messiah. A friend of mine asked the Lord one day, he says, why do you want us to worship you so much? Because you're not selfish. You're not self-centered. You don't have a complex. So why do you want us to worship you so much? And the Lord spoke to him. He says, because whatever you worship, you'll become. Hallelujah. I just want to be like Jesus. The first mention of worship in the Bible is when God said to Abraham, take your son, your only begotten son and put him on the altar and sacrifice him in the act of worship see worship is us surrendering to him if we can understand what it means to truly worship our master we would die and he would live in us because people say to me well I don't like this worship stuff and I don't like this singing stuff and that's a part of it. But you know what I say to him? If you don't worship the King of Kings, you'll worship the devil. Because you're going to worship something. You're going to worship your job, your career, your family, your car, your money. So put Jesus first and let him be the ultimate worship. Jesus says, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasures are. And we just sang three songs here, but I really want you to understand that worship is to glorify and magnify the Father through the Son. The Holy Spirit leads us into worship. We thank you, Father, for tonight. Let your word penetrate our heart. Let us leave different than when we came. Let it not be another service, but let it be your presence here, Father. Because in your presence is the fullness of joy. Let your anointing fall on my brothers and sisters tonight. Let them experience you. Let them know you. How would you know God if He doesn't make Himself known to you? And our hearts are bowed before you, Father, to receive what you have for us tonight. That we need your presence. 
We crave your anointing. But we want you, Father. Let the heartbeat of heaven be in us. Let us never be the same again. See, every day is a day of expectation to have an encounter with the Almighty God. Hallelujah. Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. I thank you, Lord. You're moving in our hearts as we sit here, as we, as we worship you, Lord, as we hear your word. For your word is true. We lift up the name of Jesus that is above every name. For you get all the glory. Lord, we wish we could just get out of the way and you take over. Have your way here tonight. And I thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy tonight. Father, you know the hearts of everyone. You know what they're going through. But for the next hour or so, Father, that we're going to just concentrate on you. We're going to magnify you. You get all the glory. We thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. It's a finished work. We get the honour to participate, to sit at the table of grace. And eat off the table with you, Father. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. You can be seated. Bless you guys. Praise God. Everyone good? No one's good. All right. We'll pray for you later. Glory. Hallelujah. God is good. Awesome. So if you don't know me, I'm Tony. <laughs> uh, the guys are away at the moment, but uh, we're here. Don't be disappointed. I... Um, I'm honoured to share the Word of God every time. I, I don't take it for granted. I really honour the Word of God. There are times in my life when God touched my life in my early days and I don't think I really gave the Word honour because God was moving and it become familiar and thinking, oh, this is easy. But, but as time goes on, you grow in maturity and you understand what God is trying to do in our world. And um, we must have a love for the Word, Amen. If we don't love the word, we'll never know the word. Okay, I lost everyone. I'll go in this room. This. <laughs> if you don't love the word, you won't know the word. Amen. Who's the word? Jesus. Kick her out right now. <laughs> the word is Jesus. He is the word that became flesh. Amen. So tonight, obviously Bible study, and normally I do Sunday church, and Rabs really um, digs in deep. Who loves Rabs? He's a blessing, man. Honestly, if you can understand what the time he spends and what God's trying to show him for the church, it's amazing, honestly. When I met, I met Rabs six years now, seven, seven years ago. I didn't, eight? Time flies. And I had a group, he had a group, and we met each other, and I was just uh, 
astonished at what God was doing in his world. And I said, you never read a book outside the Bible? Because no. <laughs> you never been to a church outside your church? He goes, no. Bro, I was shocked because of what God was doing. It was amazing. And um, if you want to pick two people that are so opposites, <laughs> to become brothers, there's me and Rebs. <laughs> I was in Brazil and they go, you're different than Rabbi. They call him Habib because they don't say R in Portuguese. So. He looks at you like he knows all your sins. <laughs> I was crying, eh? I said, yeah, I'm the nice one. I said, we've got good cop, bad cop. <laughs> but it was amazing. Um, um, and and, and what, what the Lord's doing and coming out in the teachings here. So we give all, God all the glory. Amen. Yeah. So tonight I want to talk to you. This is something that I, I actually touched on in Brazil. And as I got back here, the Lord was impressing on my heart. So in the outset, I, I'm not a teacher, so, but I'm going to teach tonight. I want to lay a foundation because I really think... I'm a picture guy. I like to see pictures. So when the Lord shows me things, I'm all, oh, that's why I love parables and I love Old Testament stories to see a picture because the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. The Old Testament is a shadow of what was to come and Jesus is the reality of that shadow. Amen? When the sun hits and the someone's walking, I go, who's that? And you see the shadow first. The shadow's not the real thing. But then, the guy, and then you walk around the corner and you see, oh, yeah, 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 what are you doing here? You know, that's what you do. What are you doing? It's a shadow. There's a God sends the natural to show you the supernatural. Um, we know we're under. We're not under law. We're under grace. Amen. But then we've got to a point where the law is that bad. We don't want to talk about it, and that's not true. See, where where we Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and as to righteousness. So you cannot be righteous by keeping a set of rules. You're not righteous because you don't sin. You're not righteous because no one here can, uh, can keep the law. Can anyone here keep the Ten Commandments? So we can't keep the law. So why would God give us a law that we can't keep? Well, God was showing us His perfect character and nature. That's who God is. This is His standard. We can't meet that standard. Amen? Then He gave them a way out by sacrifices in the Old Testament. The Mosaic law, the moral law, the ceremonial law, they're all part of the law. When they say we, we're no longer under law, you've got to read it, we're no longer under the Torah. But the Ten Commandments still stand as our boundary, our safety, and our, our condition. You can, just because you're under the blood doesn't mean you can go and commit adultery. Contrary to some popular demand, popular teaching out there. Amen? So we're... Christ is the end to the law unto righteousness. I cannot be righteous by keeping laws. That doesn't mean I throw the laws out, amen? He writes the laws in our hearts and in our minds. What he's trying to say is, I'll change your nature. I mean, going through the book of Hebrews, I touched on it on Sunday. The book of Hebrews, like, oh, I knew it was good, but I'm just eating through this book now, so I'm just going to go sit there for the next month. So get ready, all you're going to hear is Hebrews. But I say that, and then I go another way, so don't worry, don't panic. But the book of Hebrews is about, um, they don't even know who wrote it yet, Paul or Apollos, they're not sure, but whoever wrote it knew the law back to front. He knew the Leviticus law, knew everything about the priesthood, he knew everything about the sacrifices, and he goes and teaches on it and says, goes through it. But one of the, the great things of the law is saying that the priest would go day after day killing bulls and goats and sheep and, and, and sacrifices. And that was a shadow of what's to come, but they were doing that to, 
to, to, um, to, so your sins can be forgiven for that period of time. But there was a problem. It never cleared your conscience. In other words, you still had the sin nature. You still had the old nature. So although you would be forgiven, but 12 months later, you're doing it again. And then you're doing all these sacrifices in between. But when Christ came once and for all, shed his blood, he, got a, he, he cleaned us from sin and wiped out our conscience and gave us the new nature. So now we inherit his nature. So now there's no more need for sacrifices because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Okay? So why are we going back to the Ark of the Covenant? I said, uh, my heading says, can you put the first picture up? And um, how to carry God's presence. How to carry God's presence. Now, that might sound silly, but when we talk about God's presence, what are we talking about? And you hear different churches and different people talk about it. I felt the Spirit of the Lord, or I felt the anointing of God, or I've got the anointing upon me, or um, there was God moved in the meeting. We've got all these different analogies. But ultimately, if God's not invading us in church, then we are just having a bunch of nice little lectures and His presence is not here. But when He stands in here, His Spirit is here, he, you, you know He's here, His presence is with Him. Amen? Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, and I, I want to teach on this because, you know, who loves that scripture? Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in the time of need by the sprinkling of the blood. Probably the most common prayer we pray in this ministry. True? Does anyone know what that means? Hello? Hello, Australia? Speak Australia? So the law, I've been silly, but this Ark of the Covenant is not the Raiders of the Lost Ark, like you know Harrison Ford back in the day. Oh, you guys are too young, you wouldn't know. But No one can find it. They think they found it. It's in Punchbowl. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's probably my grandmother's mantelpiece where she's got the coffee there. You know the lounge room that you never were allowed to go in there? You know that one? That one. Anyway, if you died or got married. And sometimes that was the... No, we don't get I'll stop that one real quick. Anyway, so who remembers the passion of the Christ then? And what happens when Jesus rose from the dead? There was an earthquake and the, and the temple. The Bible says that the veil tore from the top to the bottom. Yeah? The veil tore. So we shared this a few weeks ago. Picture this. The temple... In Jerusalem is where all the activities, this is where Jesus went and whipped everyone and chased the money changers. He says, my house is a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Is what was going on with the temple. So there was a door. The outside of this building is called the outer court. You walk in, and this is called the holy place. This is where basically all the men and the Pharisees and the, the priests and the Levites hang out. Outside was the, the ordinary people, the women and foreigners. So you go through that door from the outer court. That's where the brazen altar is. That's where they did sacrifices. That's where they washed themselves. They come in here. This is the holy place. And then behind this curtain, there was a, uh, it was 70 feet high from memory. And it was 20 feet wide. And it was 6 inches thick. So it's not a curtain like that. It was a thick. And that's where they did. Uh, that's where the altar, that's where God's presence was in that. Now God... Got Moses to build that in the desert when he got the, uh, the Ten Commandments. It says, build me a, a, a habitation so I can dwell with you. All right, so there's a lot to go through, but I just want to give you a background because when I said about the, 
the uh, Holy of Holies people looked at me like a coward at a new gate. And um, that guy looked like he's watching paint dry. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Marcus. You wake up, all right? Um, so we'll just go a bit of a rundown so you know. So you couldn't go around to the altar, only the high priest once a year. Once a year, it's the Passover feast. What Jesus was doing on the Last Supper was the Passover feast. That's what he was celebrating, okay? And they would kill a lamb and then all the ceremonies, but then the priest would walk in with the blood of the lamb, go behind the holy curtain of the Holy of Holies and do his ceremony. Only he's allowed in there. And he had to do the ceremonial washing and wear the right clothes. And if he didn't, he dropped dead in there. So, but when Jesus went to the cross, and, and, sorry, so when the priest did what he did, he'd walk out and he'd go outside, stand on the steps, put his hands out, he's covered in blood and water and whatever, and he says, it is finished. That's what the high priest would say. And they would do a sacrifice at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock and by 12 o'clock he was dead from memory. Now, he would do that and Jesus fulfilled that. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says, the minute he says, into your hands I'll give you my spirit, the Bible says the veil tore from top to bottom and the Spirit of God left the temple. Never to dwell in man-made temples again. So if you think God's in a building, uh -uh, read your Bible. You carry his presence today if you're a born-again believer. If you are born from above. If you are being baptized into the Father's love. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. I don't care how you say it, because it offends some people, though, you know. But if, God, if you are washed by the blood, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You carry his presence now. That temple was torn from top to bottom. The Spirit of God left the temple. Are you, are you with me? That's one where you can pray that prayer. We can come, because of the sprinkling of the blood, we can come boldly. The word boldly is with confidence and assurance to the throne of grace, without any fear to obtain mercy in the time of need. In other words, you and I, because of the blood of Jesus, can go straight to the throne room and ask a request from God. Where before that, you needed the high priest to go in there for you. Are you with me? Yes. Praise God. So let's talk about this Ark of the Covenant. This is where in the Old Testament... God's presence was. Now, God is everywhere. Are we, not, are we in agreement? But this was specific. God was trying to teach him something. So God told Moses, build me this ark, and there was a specific way of building it. There was certain measurements, and then what they had to do. So I'm going to touch on it a little bit to show you. Now, there's some teaching out there that Mary was the ark, the new ark, or Mary's the new Eve. Or um, uh, you look at, say, in, in, in Christian circles that, um, we need the ark because God's presence was there, but we're New Testament believers. That means we are, the Holy Spirit lives in us now. It doesn't live in man-made temples and we'll go through all that. All right? So I want to show you why this is Jesus we're talking about. Now, God allowed patterns in the Old Testament. He shows us patterns. Now, I know we're not under the law anymore, okay? So they're going to build any arcs and, you know, people do some weird things, you know, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, are we not? So if he doesn't dwell in man-made temples, he dwells in the temples of who he created, then you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've got to start believing that. Amen? All right, so can you put picture number one, please? This is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone seen this before? Anyone? Yeah? Anyone bored already? 
Because it's very interesting. Because there's nothing in the Bible by mistake. Because today you're going to live knowing that the presence of God lives inside you and you can go within. But there's a pattern. See, if God's not moving in your life, then God's not the problem. And the devil's not your problem. Guess who's the problem? You are. Because God puts patterns for a reason. To show us how to walk with him. God is gracious. He's merciful. And I thank God he doesn't strike us every time we do something wrong. That's not about what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we've got to get some reverence and some feedback that what God's about to do on this earth. And I'll share some stories about me that I got rebuked by God. So, so this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is what was in the Holy of Holies. But before they had a temple, they used to carry it with them. And they used to have a tent called Tent of Meetings. They used to put it in the desert where Moses was before any temples. And whenever they went into battle, they take the ark. And it was all had to do with God's presence. But along the way, they started getting familiar, started getting rebellious, started getting a little bit cocky, started getting a little bit... And they didn't honour God's presence and, they, and it fell into wrong hands and it nearly destroyed them. And I'll tell you a story to sum it up. But right now, I just want to show you how it was made and why it was made. Next slide, please. Can you see that properly? I'll see you later. Is that better? Is that better? Okay. Probably just that picture. Now, God told Moses, this is how I want you to do it. And this is acacia wood. There's a wood that found in that region. And it's, non- it's incorruptible. You can't corrupt it. It's, it's hard wood. And God says, now, build me a box. Now, I'm going to summarize it because there's a certain way certain dimensions, there's all so much to it. It says, and then what you do, you coat it with gold. The timber box represents humanity. We are from the dust of the earth. This is from the dust. But this is not corruptible. It's incorruptible wood. In other words, the gold represents what? We've taught on this. Divinity. Gold doesn't rust, doesn't perish. Divinity. Silver represents what? Redemption. In the Bible, I can show you in the Bible, numbers and colors all mean stuff. But gold represents divinity. Silver represents the, uh, um, salvation or redemption. And then bronze represents judgment. And then you've got brass and all these things. Here, this is timber coated with gold. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Not half man, half God. This Jesus was the man, fully man, from the earth, but not corruptible. But he was divine. And that box represents Jesus. Amen? Next slide. Then on the box, once they coated it with all the gold, they put four rings. There's one there, and there's one there, and there's one on the other side, and the other side. And they put the poles there. The poles were made out of wood, and, and they gold-plated them. Sometimes they say they weren't, sometimes they say they were. Okay? Next slide. Now, on top of that box, there's, they don't know what that is. They're cherubims, and it's a lid. Beautiful. So this was made out of wood and coated with gold. Here, that's called the mercy seat. That's got, see them? They're like crowns, like a king's crown. And those cherubims are looking at each other facing down. They call that the mercy seat. 
Why do they call that the mercy seat? I'll explain. So, so far, but that's made out of full, solid gold, beaten into shape. Remember we talked about the candlesticks a few weeks ago? The, the seven candlesticks? They were beaten together out of one solid gold and they put holes in it so they could put oil in the wick. Remember that? No? All right, go back to the tape. I'm not going back there. But that was <laughs> beaten and crafted, and that's the lid. That's called the mercy seat. The cherubims are looking over where? They're looking down into the mercy seat. The cherubims are on the ark, but before that, the first time they mentioned cherubims is where? When Adam sinned, and they ate in Genesis, and they ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and God put a, a cherubim angels with a flaming sword, and the Bible says to guard the way. Now, I know you've been told to keep them out. It was to keep them out so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and have immortality in sin. He pushed them out of the garden and put an angel there, but it was there to protect them so they wouldn't go and eat from that tree. And then one day those angels will lead us back to the tree of life. And I'll explain that later. But what's inside? So if that's a lid, what's, it, what's inside that? Who, who wants to know? Who's curious? Praise God. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod. Can we get the next picture? So that's what was inside. It's interesting to note. The Ten Commandments were there, Aaron's rod, and the manna. Do anyone know much about Aaron's rod? We know about the Ten Commandments. I'll explain why they're in the Ark. Aaron's rod, say that, Aaron's rod, well, we know that the manna represents what? God's provision every day. And bread, Jesus is the bread of life. We know that it has to do with communion. Yeah? Remember a few weeks ago I said that they got to a stage where this worthless manna, we loathe it. We detest it. They're eating angel food, and these people are now complaining in the desert, you give us this manna, it's, it's disgusting to our soul. What's wrong with these people? All right, But Aaron's rod is interesting. So God called uh, Moses, and Aaron was Moses' brother. And now they had the 12 tribes. They had leaders from every tribe. And what happens when Arabs, uh, when Arabs get together? They all want to be the boss, don't they? <laughs> Who made you boss? Who made you Moses? Who told? Oh, as if you know God. You walked us around for 40 years. You didn't even know where you're going. You know? I'm telling you, they were Lebos, I swear. Or Syrians. Or, uh, take a pick. You all got them. We all got them, don't they? <laughs> I guarantee when I was a kid and we had cousins come from Lebanon and that was like a big deal coming from Lebanon or they're going to Lebanon and it was like wow 15 cars went to see them off we wait for them till they wave they would get the binoculars wait for the plane to go and then yeah, it, was a, it was the best but I remember they had an all in brawl one day I said dad what's going on he goes habibi see the head Lebanese head I go yeah 12 uncles wanted to go two, 12 different ways to the airport Everyone had a shortcut. I couldn't agree on anything, you know? <laughs> and I don't think anything's changed. Lebanese would do anything for their country but live in the country. <laughs> Joking online. Take it easy, I don't know. I the militia walk in and go, get him. So here, they're whinging about who made you boss? Who made you boss? Oh, what's Aaron? That's your brother. What do they call it when you put family members in roles? What do they call it? Nepo what is it? Nepotism? Yeah, well, Jesus was, was like that, so stop complaining. 
But what happened was there was a bit of discord happening in the, in the villages. There was a bit of issues. So what God said to Moses, tell them, every leader of every tribe, go get your, your rod, a staff, a stick from the tree, adib, so you get whacked. You know, and put it out. And then, because the stick's dead, it's off a tree, yeah? It's got nothing on it. It's dead. It's dead wood. Put them out. And when you wake up in the morning, wherever stick is budded and it's got a flower on it, that's the man I've ordained for authority over you. So Aaron puts his down, all the tribes put that down. They come back and Aaron's one's got, it's budded. And that's interesting, isn't it? It's a piece of timber. So why are these in the ark? And why is the mercy seat covering them? And why weren't they allowed to lift the lid off? Because anyone who went and looked in the ark died. There was a time there where they lost the ark, the Philistines stole it, and then there was just chaos in their world. So they sent it back on, the, on a cart with mules. And the family, there was a village called um, the House of the Sun. Um, back, uh, uh, um, Ibn Shames is the village. And they took it, yeah, that's ours, bring it back. And then they all looked at 50,000 died. So why did they die? Was God so bad? Is God's presence so scary? Well, it is if you approach him wrong. You pray. See, man cannot see the face of God and live in the Old Testament. True? A sinner cannot stand before the Almighty God. You'll die. Here, the reason why they died is people think God's angry. No. This was a representative of the people of Israel. They hated the manna from heaven. They rebelled against God's authority. And the Ten Commandments is the law of death. Because no one could keep it. So when they got to the Ark of the Covenant, he put them inside the covenant. I hope you're getting this. This represents, go back. This rep- <laughs> Are we playing games now? This timber represents the cross. That something came alive from death. That God has all authority over all things. Amen? Don't come against godly authority. I'm going to tell you why, because I did. And I'll, all right? <laughs> they, they disgusted with the word of God. Manna represents the word. Fellowship with God. And the Ten Commandments, as we know, no one can keep the law. So he puts them in the ark, right? Because if you look at them, you die. If you look through the reasons behind it. And he puts the lid on it, which is the mercy seat. It's interesting that he says, don't open the lid, but look at the mercy of God. You all deserve to die. I deserve to die. You deserve to die. But because of his mercy, we live. Amen? So that's the picture. Can we go back to the ark for a second? So we've got all these things happening. The cherubims, they're watching over the mercy seat. What's all this about then? So God's presence is there. Carry it. Just to summarize it a little bit. So when the priest would go in to perform the sacrifice and then give the blood on the mercy seat, he'd have to do a lot of different things. But one thing is interesting that really got me years ago. The priest would do certain ceremonies. It was, mate, it's very complicated. But one of them was he gets the blood and he would put it on his fingers and then he would sprinkle seven times on the tent before he went into the holy. Seven times. Just seven sprinkles of the blood. Then he'd go in and he'd pour the blood on the mercy seat. But it's interesting. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah. Seven times. So I could talk about this for the next six months. But I just want to show you something. The priest would put blood 
on the tent, on the, um, the, the altar, sprinkle it seven times. And Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus bled seven times before he went to the cross. First time when he was praying in the garden and he sweat blood. Now when he sweat blood, it wasn't some religious thing. He was in that much um, stress and torment. It's a medical condition. When you're under high stress, you, your, birth, your blood vessels burst. And then blood can trickle out of your face. He was under that extreme pressure, knowing what was about to come. That's the first time he's bled. The second time he bled was when they put the thorns on his head. Now I'm not getting this in order, but you'll you know what I'm talking about. The thorns on his head. The third time when they ripped his beard off his face. The fourth time was when they whipped him. He bled. The fifth time is when they pierced his hands. And the sixth time is when they pierced his feet. And the seventh time is when they speared him. The fulfillment of the lamb sprinkling seven times to the letter. And then the priest would go in and put the blood where? Next slide. Keep going. There. They've just, it's just a picture. They used to pour it on there. They'd pour it, the blood of the sacrifice of a lamb. And then, if the priest did everything right and God accepted the sacrifice, the priest would be able to walk out. If he didn't accept the sacrifice, he died in there. But isn't it interesting that there's judgment under that, seed, under that lid, under the mercy? There's judgment. If you, lift the, if you lift God's mercy, you get judged by the law, you get judged by your rebellion, you get judged by what you've said. Here, God's saying, I want to show you mercy. Put the lid down, kill the lamb, do it once a year. Yeah? Jesus now is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he enters to the holy place and gets crucified and enters into the heavenly realm and shows the Father his scars. Which means that these angels now of judgment can't judge you anymore. Why? Because underneath that lid is judgment. But on top of that lid is mercy. And the only way you can wash away sin is through the blood. Jesus fulfilled that at the cross. Amen? That's what used to happen. Because you can't enter into God's throne without the blood. The priest himself had to make an offering for himself and the nation of Israel. But Christ came... He didn't have to do an offering for himself because he was sinless. He just offered himself for the world. And that's why we have God's mercy and grace. Amen? Are you with me? Can you go back to the other picture, AJ? Where the... So we know that the tablets are in there, the manna and, the, and Aaron's rod. Mercy speaks of grace. The tablets speak of the law. The law is underneath grace. In Galatians 5.4, it says, Whoever so of you is justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. What's higher here? Law or grace or mercy? Look what it says. You've fallen from grace in Galatians. If I try and obtain myself through the law and what I do and how I do it, I say I'm justified, then I've fallen from grace. Now I'm doing it in my own strength and guess what the enemy does? Okay, let's see how far you go with that. I've fallen from grace. Isn't it interesting that there's nothing, you've fallen from grace. Here, mercy, the blood speaks of the grace and mercy of God. If you start trusting in the law, guess what? You've fallen from grace. Isn't it interesting? You don't lose grace, you've fallen from it. 
When I live under grace and I start living an ungodly life and say I'm under the grace, I've fallen from grace into the law. I'm under judgment, whether you like it or not. But thank God he brings us back. Who here that's a believer that's done something wrong since you got saved? Don't put your hand up. Because if, if I see your hands up and no one's hands up, I'll go, you're lying. <laughs> We've all done something. We've all broken God's law somehow, some way. But who gets a conviction that that was wrong? You better be scared that when you start sinning, you don't get conviction. But under the, the blood of Jesus, he can bring us back and wash us every time. Because we're sons now. We're not slaves. Amen? Hallelujah. So we've got all this here. And they would carry this round. So can I get the boys? Can I, uh, Antoine, David, Josh, and Thomas. I made my own ark. It's a Lebanese ark. The cherubims didn't show up. Just grab one side. Now, this is not bolted on anything, so this can fall any minute. So, this I don't know how this is going to go. Come. Grab one side. Face, face the crowd, Antoine. Face the crowd, David. You can face it. Now, put it up on your shoulders. So, I want to show you something. Oh, this is going to go south real quick. All right. Mind you, I just painted it. So, if you get gold marks on you, don't worry. It's gold dust from me. Yeah, I mean, what are you doing? He's taller than me. All right. Can you walk over here or no? I should have got someone who's shorter. Face the camera, please. All right, just stand there. Actually, your hair's not good for TV, so um, go that way. Turn around. But God has mercy on you, don't worry. Why have I got these blokes here? For no reason, I just want to make you look like idiots. No, no. I should have picked someone short, eh? Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, pretend that's the ark. This ark had to be carried by four priests, Levites. They were consecrated, that means they were set apart, anointed to carry it. That's the only way you could take it. If they went to battle, they would go first and God would give them the victory. Before they crossed the Jordan River, the God says, send the ark first. They went, just put your foot on the, on, on, in the Jordan. The Jordan back then it was high tide, it was three rivers going into it, it was... It was chaotic. It was peak season. And God says, go, take the ark, take God's presence. And when they did, they put their foot in the, in the Jordan and it parted and they got through. The Old Testament, uh, sorry, the Red Sea crossing, they didn't have an ark back then. They just went by faith because God says, "Put your, hold up your staff. What do you got in your hand, Moses? That represents circumcision. But the Jordan River crossing represents baptism into the new nature, into the promised land. You go from the old to the new. You can't go from the old to the new unless you have the Holy Spirit in you. Unless you're washed by the blood. You can try as hard as you want, but if the blood's not there, you're not entering his presence. You're not entering his rest. Here, these four Levites would do it. They would walk. Now, I want to ask you something. I just went through the whole book, this ark. Timber represents Jesus, son of man. The gold represents Jesus, the son of God. The crowns represents his kingship. The, the lid represents his mercy and grace. The cherubim represents God's ordinance of judgment. God, the lamb's blood represents what? Jesus' blood on the cross. This is Jesus, guys. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we could be the righteousness of God. He took the law. He fulfilled the law. He is the manna from heaven. 
He is our final authority, all in this ark. Are you with me? When they used to walk, there was a representative. They were walking in, in unison, in agreement, in a balanced walk. They, one, if, if he was to walk, that thing would fall. had to be four people. True? The Word of God in Timothy. Can we go to Timothy quickly? Stay there, boys. Don't move. As if you're going anywhere. 2 Timothy 2.15. I want you to start reading Scripture and seeing the picture of what God meant from the Scripture. Be, this is Paul telling Timothy now. And there's a whole lot to it. But be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If these guys were out of order, guess what happens to the ark? It, it falls. The Bible says rightly divide the word of truth. When you read the Bible, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, you will misunderstand it and you won't rightly divide the word. And God's presence can't walk with you. I have people sitting me and go, oh, I believe in this, I don't believe in that. They're going to heaven. It's not talking about heaven now. We're talking about how do I get God's presence? How do I walk with God's presence if I'm not in order? Here, we've got here, for example, we've got, and I didn't mention this. Can we go back to the ark for a second? See these rings here, guys? There's four rings. The four rings are made out of gold. Okay, there would be four rings, and these poles would go through there. Four. It takes four people, four rings. They represent Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Balanced. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Where do we get the gospel from? The good news? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll go a bit further. If one of these guys are out of balance, we said it's going to fall. It won't get to its destination. See, the gospel and the presence of God is carried by on the shoulders of men, not on programs or buildings or institutions. And I'll share this with you in a second, but I want to keep going. So rightly divide the word of God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Did you know that we think that Jesus was crucified by three nails? That's our traditional belief. But when you go to Jerusalem and go, he got crucified by four nails because his feet were sideways and they nailed two nails to his feet. Four nails, four gospels, rightly divided. Share something with you. Who loves this scripture? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The most common scripture you hear in a Pentecostal church, in a charismatic church, in an evangelical church, in a prosperity church, in an unprosperity church, in whatever. First seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When we say things, we think of a new car, Lamborghini, holiday in Hawaii, you know. We do, let's be honest. School fees paid and, you know. And it's all true. God's God is our provider. But people fail to look at the verses that lead up to that scripture. And I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But I'm going to tell you what it says. If you read the chapter of Matthew in the beginning, before it gets to 33, seek the kingdom of God, it says, when you give, charitable deeds. When you fast, I fast. We don't have to fast anymore. When you pray, pray. And when you forgive, when you give, when you fast, when you pray, and when you forgive, and then seek the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. 
rightly divided. Because you can't have one without the other. And you can manage in the kingdom by doing one and not the other, but you're not getting the fullness of God. Who wants God's presence with you every day? I'm not talking about slaying in the spirit and shaking. And as I said to the guys, when your hair stands up, with, and I looked at Justin, poor guy. But I'm talking about God's presence in the nature. See, when I walk in the spirit, yeah, there's a time where the Holy Spirit's upon you and you're moving in the power. And there's times where you're at work and you're bored to your... But the nature of God that lives on the inside of you, your integrity, your character, the new nature, I'm walking in his presence every day. Rightly divided. You look at the word of God, it says it took four guys, four guys to lower the, the, para, uh, the paralytic guy through the roof. Four guys. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John to get to the word so he can be healed. Full gospel. Not half a gospel. Some people love the prophetic word of the Antichrist when he's coming and some people love the you know, dreams and visions but the, it's rightly divided. Why? Because we need to be balanced. The Bible, what does the Bible say? Don't be tossed with every wind and doctrine. If I'm rightly divided, I won't be tossed with everything that new that comes and goes. I'm stable in all my ways. I'm not looking at one. Rightly divided is when I sin, I repent. I don't excuse it. Rightly divided is that I'm sick, but I'm healed because it's by his stripes I'm healed. Rightly divided that I must give because I'm a greedy person and I go, I don't have to give. Oh yeah, you don't have to give. But why are you going to be such a scab for the kingdom of God? And I could go on and on and on. Because to carry God's presence in the Old Testament, they had to be in line, in order, set apart, consecrated. And they feared God because that thing could kill them. And we think, oh, God's my bro. Jesus is my man. He can be your man. He can be your best friend. But he's also your Lord and Savior that died in a miserable death so you can be healed. You can be delivered. Are we mocking God? or are we? That's why God hasn't moved. There's no reverence for him. Reverence is not being quiet. That's a part of it, but it's not, that's not reverence. I can be quiet and have a devil as a heart. You know what it is? It's knowing him. See, when Aaron... Sorry, boys, are you tired? All right, we'll stop complaining. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> mercy, mercy, mercy. When God appointed Aaron, Aaron is the brother of Moses. He says, you and your family, your descendants will be priests forever. They're all the way down to John the Baptist. John the Baptist's father was Zechariah. Zechariah was a high priest who ministered in the temple. He was from a different sect, but he was connected to, the, to Aaron's family lineage. And it's interesting to say that he says, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was from the line of Aaron as well. The Holy Spirit threw that in just to make it double whammy. John the Baptist was from that line. So think about this. The anointed people that would serve in the temple, that would carry the ark, that would do the sacrifice, everything to do with the temple were... The sons of Aaron. The sons. The anointing isn't for gifted preachers or servants or great uh, the apostles and prophets and preachers. That's all part of it. The anointing is for sons and daughters of the king. He's given it to the kingship and he gives it to us. Because the, the pattern is Aaron's sons. Speaking of family lineage. See, you're anointed. See, you want to be anointed? Who wants to be anointed here? Who wants to walk in God's anointing? Who wants to walk in God's presence? Who wants to manifest God's beauty and glory? Who wants to walk in the gifting? It should be every hand should be up. Come on, every hand should be up. Come on. I'll make you put it up. We all need to desire for that. It comes from sonship. I'm not talking about male. I'm talking about positioning God from the family. 
I can read it in, in Galatians for you. And this presence, so they used to carry the presence wherever they took it into battle. But listen to this. There was a time when they went into battle and, they, oh, listen, man, we're losing. Quick, bring the ark. And the ark came and they lost more. You know what they did? They dishonored God because they put him last. They said, oh, well, now we're, get, we're in a bit of trouble here. Let's go get God. It doesn't work like that. How many times have we gone and done something in our own world, flesh, in our own way? And then we ask God to come and fix it. Oh, I'll put both my hands up. But there's an interesting story, quickly. I just want to keep these guys there as a visual. In Galatians, before I go to that story, in Galatians, and it says, Galatians 4.1. I've shared this before, but I want you to see this in a, in a way. God does not allow his presence. God's presence is everywhere, okay? You all love Jesus, yeah? He's with you. But doesn't it seem like some people have more favour than others? Doesn't it seem like some people are more anointed than others? Or God, had, God hasn't got favourites, but it seems like he does sometimes. You know what it is? God doesn't favour anyone more than anyone else. God, has, God loves us equally, and he shares all the gifts of the kingdom equally. So why does one walk better than the other? I'll tell you, there's two things. Someone's calling is different than someone else's calling. But ultimately, you know the big reason? is the hunger of you. How hungry are you? Because the more hungry you are, the more he'll give you. doesn't work because you're talented. doesn't work because, oh, I had a prophecy on my life, I'm going to do this, yeah? So what did you do about it? I've got a prophecy, it hasn't come to pass. That guy's a false prophet. No, you haven't believed, prayed, or watered that prophecy. There's a promise on everyone's life here. God has not let He goes, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But it's how hungry you are. You know, I could be hungry for the things of God. But I'm not willing to die for the things of God. I'm not saying dying as in as a martyr. I'm saying, Lord, I want it. I want you to use me. I know, I know, I want to use He goes, all right, well, stop talking. I'm a talker. Stop talking. What he's saying is, stop talking about what you want to do for me and start listening to me so I can give you the words. See, so if I don't die to myself, then it's self that's promoting my kingdom. Oh, I'm doing all this for you, Lord. Remember? Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. He goes, I don't know you. Depart from me. That's a scary thought. In Galatians 1, it was to say, Now I say that an heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. He's talking about here an heir. Let's say now, who, who, who's in, like Prince Charles. Let's use Prince Charles now. Everyone's favorite. All right. Uh, Prince Charles. The king now. Sorry. Yeah, good. Well done. She's a monarch, this one. Yeah. <laughs> King Charles, and he's got a son named Ashismo? Harry. Harry, not the other weirdo that's married to the Jezebel. I mean, sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> Can I say that? I can't say that. All right, sorry. We know who's, we know who's in charge of that relationship, eh? Hey? Anyway. <laughs> What's his name again? George? All right, William. What's his son's name? All right, as I said, George. Wow. So you got Prince Charles is the king. The next in line to the throne is William. The other, the Rangers brother. And then you got, then you got um, George. Now George's lineage is, he's an heir. He, he's now an heir, but as long as he remains a child, George, even though one day he will be king, he's no different than a servant or a slave. Are you getting that picture? So little George can't tell his servants, his teachers, his carers, leave me alone because I'm going to be king one day. Go to your room, you know. You get what I'm trying to say here? Although he's an heir to the throne, what, Jesus, what Paul's trying to say here, if you look at Galatians, we ask, 
in our sonship in the finished work of the cross. God is our Father. We're, but we have the, the inheritance of the kingdom. And we are heirs to that kingdom. But as long as I remain a child, I'm no different than a slave or a servant. Too many of us are still babies. And we wonder why we're not moving in the kingdom. Next verse. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed to the Father. So he's talking about the kingdom of God here. The law and the people of the law were only guardians of what God was about to do. But they refused to enter the kingdom. So what happens? Jesus comes. He says, whoever calls, answers me can come into the kingdom. But as long as I remain a child and a baby and immature, I cannot walk in my God-given authority as a, as a man and a woman of God because I'm still a baby, I'm still a child. And even though my positional truth is I'm a king, I'm a son of a king, you're a daughter of a king, you walk around no different than a slave because you're still under gardens and stewards. See, to walk in God's presence comes with maturity. I need to mature. When it says move on to perfection in the Bible, it's not asking you not to be sin. Well, it is, but it's not saying that you're going to be perfect in that sense. It's saying move on to maturity. See, the more I die, the more I mature in the things of God, then he can trust you with the things of the kingdom. Because when you get to heaven one day, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful worship leader. Well done, good and faithful mum. Well done, good and faithful teacher. Well done, good and faithful apostle. Well done, good and faithful healing ministry. You know, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We are sons and daughters with the servant's heart. We need to serve him, but we need his presence. Otherwise, you're doing it in vain. Can you see the picture that God sent? Now, before these guys go, quickly, I want to share this story quickly. Let's go to Samuel and tell you about what happens when you dishonor God and you start to treat him in common. What happened here? I'll give you a backdrop so we don't speak, spend all day here. The ark was missing and they stole it. The first time stole it and they brought it back and they put it on a, a cart with mules and they carted it back. Went to that house, as I said there, the, the house of the son, um, Ibn Manesh, Shames. They looked at it, they all died, so they took it to another guy's house. And he kept it there for 20 years. Him and his sons would look after that ark up until the time David came to get the ark that they can put it so they can build a temple one day. That's the backdrop, yeah? Okay. Look at this. Let's read it from Second uh, Samuel verse 1 to... What did I say, guys? One. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. He goes and gets 30,000 people to do a celebration because the ark's coming home. Every man and his dog's there. Let's put it that way. All the celebrities, all the hierarchy, the who's who of Jerusalem, he's coming into town. And David arose and went up with all the people with him from Baal, Judea, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubims. So he's saying, now God, in the mercy seat, God's dwelling between the cherubims. So this is God's presence now. Okay? So this is a big deal. They've lost the ark. David's in power. We're going to bring this ark home. It's been in the guy's house for a while. Let's go. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio, the sons of Abinadad, drove the new cart. 
And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark. And Ahiah went before the ark. <laughs> and David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord of all kinds of instruments. Firwood, the harps, the string instruments, the tambourines, the... What, what's that? Sister, what's that, Muso? And on the cymbals. Probably a triangle. And when they came to Nashon, thrashing of the floor, Azar put his hand on the ark and God took hold of him for the ox was about to stumble or the, the ox stumbled. So, that, so now the ark's on top of a cart and they got an ox carting it. So they're taking the ark back to Jerusalem on back of a mule, oxen. This guy here goes to the hope because the, the ox tripped. He puts his hand out, look what happens to him. The anger of the Lord was, arose against uh, Azar, and he God struck him there for his, his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now you read that on itself, and you think, wow, God is cruel. But read the whole context. That ark was in that guy's house. He was one of the younger brothers, but he was never called to walk with the ark. His brother was. For some reason, because there was 30,000 men, and David and all the symbols and the who's who of Jerusalem's coming, he decided to take it upon himself, I'm going to get this ark back to Jerusalem. He took it upon himself to walk in an anointing he was never called to walk in. And now they put it on there. If he knew, these people knew what to do with the ark. His dad and his brothers knew what to do with the ark. You never put God's ark or presence on the back of mules or oxens. They put it on the back of a car because the presence of God is carried on the shoulders of men. In other words, you can't generate God's presence by your formula or the way you want to do things or make it easier. See, there's no easy way to get into God's presence. You have to die. And what they did, they put it on a cart for let's get it back. They didn't know how to treat the presence of God, especially him. And you know what he did? He decided he wants to help God. So when, in, when the mule tripped or the oxen tripped, guess what he did? He put his hand on it and, and God struck him dead. Pride. And thank God God doesn't do that to us today. But that's a picture of touching God's anointed. Because in the ark was rebellion. Inside the ark was Aaron's rod, rebellion. The other part was disobedience and, and this manner is worthless. Like God's, God's pr uh, provision you're not happy with. And the Ten Commandments. Can you see a picture that if you come to God in the wrong way, it can hurt you? We say, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Ananias and Sapphira. Drop dead. Solomon bar Jesus. Paul sent him blind for perverting the word of God. Peter cursed Simon the sorcerer. Oh, that's grace. That's not grace. That's God's instant judgment. And it can happen. It's coming back. When you get in the way of God's, what God's doing, you better be careful. If you don't know what you're talking about, sip it. Be very careful. My, my pastor told me this story. Doesn't tell too many people. But he's in Queensland. He's not going to hear this. I'm going to tell it. Anyway. No. He went to Lebanon. He's a farmer from Tari. Aussie Ocker, you know, rural Aussie Ocker, working on the farms, got saved, became a, the, one of the leaders of my old denomination, and God sent him to Lebanon and Syria twice to preach the gospel. And it's an amazing story. When he went to Lebanon, they took him to Syria. When he went to Syria, uh, I think this guy, that, the Lebanese guy, was from an evangelical, I think, Baptist evangelical background, and I thought they were preaching the gospel. But he went from house to house in Syria. The cops chased him. They set him up. They're trying to arrest him. And it was like the angel showed up. And they didn't know who the guy was. He said, come with me. Go from house to house praying for the sick, people getting healed. It was an amazing time in. But when he was doing all this, the Lebanese guy, the guy that was walking with him, says, look, stop this. We don't believe in this. 
people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, people getting healed, laying hands on people. And he's saying, he's saying, we don't do this. And, and my pastor said to him straight to his face, brother, it's not me. Please don't touch what God's doing. And then he, next day, same thing, next day, same thing, next day, same thing. He went to bed that night and never woke up. He says to me, I'm not saying what if or is, but I believe he touched the anointing of God. He was getting in the way, and God had to take him away. That's what he believes. And in the last days, that's what's going to happen. Because they're going to get in the way of what God's trying to do. Please don't get in the way of what God's trying to do. He, may not, you, he might not strike you dead, because he's not like that. This is a, I'm not saying God does that. But you could die to the things of the Spirit if you get in the way of what God's trying to do. And the Ark of the Covenant is a picture and a pattern how to receive God. Reverence first. I worship him. I thank him for the cross of Calvary, that he swallowed up the law, that he, that he took my rebellion, my ungratefulness. Why? Because his presence will come upon you because he wants to move. God wants to move on his earth more than we want him to move. God wants to answer your prayer more than you're willing to pray. Because the Ark of the Covenant was a picture and a shadow over top of what was to come. On the backs. The gospel is on the shoulders of men, on me and you. Not programs. You don't put the ark or God's presence on a formula or a program or uh, a certain type of song or a certain type of ministry. We're, we're perverting that. He wants to move through you and you and you. He's looking for a vessel that he can land on. Because if he comes in his full glory, he'll kill us. But if we understand who he is and we're willing to die to ourselves, these Levites had to be consecrated, which means had to be set apart. Are you set apart for God? You're under why God not moving in my life. How much time have you given him? How much have you separated yourself from the things of the world? And you might not be in sin and doing anything wrong. I'm not saying that. And you're living your life. I often say to people, the most dangerous place to be is comfortable. Because the enemy walks in, sits in your lounge room, and you don't even know he's there. Because you're comfortable. God's presence has authority over your life if we know how to honor him. We need to get back to the fear of the Lord. Why? Because when he moves, it's powerful. But he has to get the glory, amen? There's four guys carrying his presence. Speaks of unity. God doesn't want to move in individuals anymore. He wants to move in the body of Christ. He's not interested in the one man shows anymore. God will always raise up men to lead. But it's not about the guy leading. We've put so much emphasis on the guy leading that he becomes a God. I honor men of women of God, don't get me wrong. I give him honor where honor is due. Paul had a lot of honor. But Paul came, a lot of people came against Paul too. But when Paul came into town, a lot of pastors ran for their life. Because he walked in the power and an anointing that they could not handle. They were heroes when he wasn't there, but when he walked into town, you've got to read it. John, uh, the apostle John and Paul, they call out people. Don't be like them. They call them out by name. Thanks, boys. You can say it over there. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> I would have kept them there, but my wife gets haram. Does that make sense? But remember, we're under the blood. We're under the new covenant. Amen? God's mercy and grace is for us. The price has been paid. But they're all patterns of sh to show us how we approach him. I don't know if you've ever heard any of this before because it's not my type of message. I'd rather just lift you up and edify you and make you laugh and fill you with the Holy Spirit. 
But there's times where my obedience to what he wants to share with us because he wants to save us. You see, we can get caught up in the things and call it Christianity, and it's not. Who wants to be delivered from them? You know the greatest prayer you can pray? Lord, deliver me from me. That's the greatest prayer we can pray. So I'll tell you now, his presence will follow you. Not just follow you, you'll be flowing in him. So why did I say that? Why did I do that? What happened here? Doors are opening. Doors are opening for us, me and Rabs. And we're not even we're not promoting ourselves. We're not doing, and God's opening doors to, to deal with certain ministries around the world. That's not even what we want to do in a sense. But God's allowing us to see what He's got for us. And He's what about you? Are you willing to pay a price for Him? That's the question. This soft approach where I'm going to sit on the couch and say, God's got a plan for my life. I love hearing that. God's got a plan. <laughs> Three years later, you know what? God's got a plan. I said, man, your DA ran out. Like, <laughs> the plans are invalid now. The, the, the code's changed. The, the DCP's changed. Uh, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Only Edgar and Tony Weeby. In other words, God's got a plan, but you never pray out your plan. I need God's presence just to hear him, not just to go pray for someone. I want to be able to sit there and say, Lord, I thank you, and his presence just shows up. Because it can happen. It's not it can, it will happen. We've got this idea that, you know, oh, God's playing hide and seek. No, he says, draw, draw need to God, and he will draw need to you. So who does the drawing first? Who does, who, who has to come? You. And I often say it this way, like, oh, I'll share this story, okay? So there's a prominent, I just want to show you, that I've lived this. And I'm still on my journey. There's a prominent preacher. And if I said his name, you would know it. And I don't want to say it again because then it becomes like I'm gloating. But. And I went to one of his meetings in Sydney. It was about, this has got to be at least now, at least 15 years, 14 years, 10, 10 years ago. Sorry, teams. We started a ministry in Parramatta. And God was moving. It was six months into it. But I knew that it was more because <coughs> i come out of a ministry where God was flowing mightily. And people were getting saved. We started off with 20 people. Or, no, sorry. We started off with three people. And it got to 10, 15. Anyway, this traveling minister from the States came. And he had a few little funny things happening in his life at the time. And, and he came to Australia. He used to book out the entertainment center. Now he's in a sports center. But we went because my friend that was with me used to support their ministry and I knew he was always a man of God but uh, you know, I had these little things in my heart that I didn't really know they were there but they were there. And I went. We went to this meeting and we were at the sports centre and if I don't know if you know the sports centre it's like a basketball stadium. So you've got seats going down so you hit to the platform and then there's just like a, a big uh, floor area like a hall, like a, a basketball court. And there was another stage. So he was on stage there was chairs like this on there, and then you walk up the stairs and you sit on rows, like a basketball stadium. So I'm on the last row where the balcony is, like a balcony. And I'm standing there, and this guy's preaching, and, and, he's, and he's praying for people. Two hours later, a lady gets healed, and God's moving. It's God's presence was there, no dramas. The guy that, um, the lady that got healed, her pastor, is a, is a guy that I know from my school. I didn't know him. He wasn't a pastor when we were at school, but it, I, I knew who he was. And... They got him on stage and all this happened and the, and the couple of the catchers were friends of mine. I knew who they were. Long story short, 
was a great night. And then he asked, this is towards the end of the night, then he asked this, listen to this, can all the young adults come up, I want to pray for you. So at the time there was a young guy and a young guy there that was part of our ministry, so go up and get prayer. So they got up and they left. So now I've got two empty seats. There's another guy from my ministry there, another guy there. And the guy, and I'm watching him go, and the people everywhere, and all of a sudden he starts praying. The minute he starts praying, I felt like someone punched me in the stomach. I'm on by myself here. So I'm, I went, ooh. I looked around. Wow. That was, wow. Not being part of the anointing when it falls and you do some weird and wonderful things. All of a sudden, he kept praying and I felt like someone punched me again. Only way I can describe it is someone punched me because it felt like someone hit you and you go like that. Ooh. I looked around and he goes, what's wrong? I go, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, and more, you're going to tell you a funny story. So at the time, I was doing a job for a friend of mine. He was a Greek guy. He was a Christian. And we invited the next door neighbor, because I was working on his house in Orwood. We invited his next door neighbor to come to the meeting. He says, it's not weird, is it? I go, nah. Now, they're sitting over there and they're watching me go, ooh, ooh, ooh. I, don't, I, I thought, oh yeah, it's not weird. All of a sudden, it was like one more punch. I, it wasn't a punch, but it, that's what it felt like. And I went like, oh, like that. And luckily the boys grabbed me. All I remember is hands going like that, because I was going to go off the edge. Next thing you know, I fell backwards. I fell up, uh, upwards. So I'm sitting here. Now I'm upside down in the row above me. Legs in the air, out. And I opened my eyes. I don't know how long I was out for, probably one second, but it felt like I'm out. And I look up, and there's people laying hands on me from the crowd praying for me. So they get me up, and I'm drunk in the spirit, literally drunk. I said, I can't walk. They had to grab me. By that time, all the boys came back, and they carried me, carried me out of the building. I was literally, I could not stand up. I'm not putting this on. I'm supposed to be the pastor. I'm walking up, I get in my car, I said, boys, I can't drive. So one of the boys drove me, we went from Homebush to Parramatta. By the time I got to Parramatta, I said, I'm sweet. What happened? I go, oh, God's anointed me. Okay, it was like an anointing. I think I'm birthing something for the city, you know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> anyway, next day I get a phone call. Bro, what happened? Oh, I think God's doing something special, man. Can't wait to find out what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but I was making it up, let's be honest, you know. I honestly did not know what happened. I knew it wasn't demonic, but I knew it wasn't nice. So it wasn't like, oh, I've had demons cast out of me, so I know what it's like. Anyway, two, three days later, I'm pondering this. What was that? What was that? What was that? What was that? And because I'm such a good husband, I was putting the washing out for my wife, you know. <laughs> I was putting the towels out, you know, because the, the clothesline broke and she couldn't reach, all right? I don't want to bring it up. Anyway. <laughs> But no, I'll do it anyway. I always say, boys, men, you want to, you know, put the washing out. Anyway, I'm putting the washing out. Minding my own business. And I'm putting the washing out, and I don't know how long it was, and all of a sudden, I ask a question. I said, Lord, what was that the other night? I actually asked to do the washing. That's why I never put the washing out ever again after that. No. <laughs> I'm putting the towels out. I said, Lord, what was that? And all of a sudden, just like I'm hearing you, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you judged him, and I judged you. Exactly. I went, oh. I stood there like that. It's like frozen. I said, sorry, Lord. <laughs> exactly what I said. I couldn't move. So it was just as clear as day. And then he said, what he does is none of your concern. You keep your eyes on me. I repent, Lord. Straight away. 
finished the washing because I'm a good bloke. And um, <laughs> I went inside. All of a sudden, our meeting was on Tuesdays back then. I went back to our meeting and the Holy Spirit started moving again mightily and never stopped. Never stopped till this day. And I knew that I knew that I knew that there was something in my heart that, that wasn't right. I, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't say it out loud or anything, but there was something deep in my heart. And if I wanted to walk in the things that God wanted me to, I had to get that rubbish out of my heart. Pride, arrogance, judgment, whatever you want to call it. And God dealt me with that. Now, he dealt with me like that. He goes, oh, God doesn't do that. Well, he did it to me. And he's done it a few times. So I was touching some man's anointing. Whether I like or not what he was saying, how he was saying it, it's none of my business. And I felt the judgment of God. And it was a, I felt it that night. And I think God was just roughing me up just to show me, be careful what you say and do. Because he wants us to honour. Because if I start walking in that type of judgment, then, I, then God starts to move in my life, and it's about me. See, I'm not like him. You can't be like that. And in your own life, God wants to anoint you. But stop looking at elsewhere. Look in within and watch God what to do to your life. Because ever since that day, the anointing went through the roof. I'll give God all the honour. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I hope that I just showed you a little picture because there's so much more to that covenant. And I'm, and I'm being vulnerable and sharing my heart here because I want you to go. See, I learned from elders above me that had made their mistakes and said, Tony, be careful. Watch out. Edify you. And I pray that you don't make my mistakes because that's what we're meant to do. But there's so much more God wants to do in your life. You see, the body of Christ or the church isn't a nursery for babies. There's a place for that. He wants us to grow up because he says, as long as you're a child, you'll never receive the things of the kingdom while you remain a child. And when the Bible says that he anointed Aaron, the Bible says quite clear, he anointed him from his head and the Bible says the oil ran down his beard down to the bottom of his robe. You know what that signifies? A, a boy doesn't have a beard, but a mature man does. And it's a picture of God anointed Aaron because he was mature to Allah. He's now go train your sons to do likewise. But do you know that in the Bible there's a few sons, Eli's sons, died in front of the ark? Because they lost so much reverence and got so familiar they were having sex before the ark. You might say, how can you do that? Well, what about us? We've got the Holy Spirit living in us. Do we bring it into perversion? Do we, do we bring the Holy Spirit into our world where you know that's not right? This is not to condemn you. This is to show you how much He loves you. Because His Spirit is not in the ark in a box anymore. Nor is it in a building. It's in your heart. It's in within you. See, Jesus is seated in heavenly places, yeah? Jesus physically is spiritually seated in heavenly places. But he lives in you by his spirit. That's why he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then I will come and my father will come and have sup with you. You know what the word sup means? Have communion with you. Eat dinner with you. Fellowship with you. Because he wants to fellowship with one another. See, he, I, I, I'm stretching you a little bit here to, to understand that if you're not where you want to be, it's not the devil and it's not God. 
It's not to condemn you. It's to say, you know what? Every time I go through a rocky, hard place, a dry place, I look within. And then, you know what? It's the best thing that ever happened because I, I don't know about you, but the next generation doesn't don't want to be told. But you know what? You've got to learn to be told. Then this generation doesn't want to be, uh, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. But you know what? When you start feeling uncomfortable, then you'll start saying, you know what? Oh, I've had enough of this. I'm moving into the things of the kingdom. See, we can't sugarcoat everything and say it's grace. No, it's garbage. Grace is the empowerment over your sin. It's unmerited favor. I can't earn it. He gives it to me. But then he gives me the grace to be empowered over my sin. Not to cover my sin. He wants to empower you. While I am weak, he is strong. And while the conviction of the Holy Spirit is still in you, Listen to me. It's the best thing ever. You know why? Because you might not be where you want to be. But don't go into condemnation because condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. If you get condemned and shame and guilt, that's the devil. That's not God. Because if he's paid for that, he'll never put it back on you. The devil puts it on you. But conviction, yeah, you know, I've got a conviction. That's not right. It's the best place to be. Have you ever thought about why God loved Jacob and hated Esau? Because God can't hate. But he says, I love Jacob and hated Esau. I think, how can that be? And I've heard people trying to explain it. And Well, Esau's a type of the flesh and Jacob's a type of the spirit. Yeah, okay. But the, Jacob stole the inheritance, so that's not a spiritual thing. It was always his, but he took it his way. And we know God restored him, but why, could he, why would he say, I hated Esau? You look at Esau's life, he prospered. He conquered, he had wealth, he had family. So he didn't curse him. So what did he mean by hating Esau? See, he didn't hate Esau the person. But Esau's heart was away from God because he sold his birthright. You know when you hear when God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Why would God harden his heart? Why wouldn't he soften it? Because God will only give you over to what you want. And every time a plague came, he hardened it. So I'm going to give you whatever you want. Romans 1, I gave him over to their depraved minds. I gave them over to the lust of their flesh. He gave them over. Why? Because they won't acknowledge me as God anymore. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and they know I'm God, but they won't acknowledge me as God. So what he does? I hand you over to you. And what he did to Esau? He handed over to Esau. You know what the worst thing about Esau was? He had money. He had prosperity. He had, you know what was the problem? He never had conviction because God never convicted him once about his sin. And you know that the Spirit of God is not with you if you're not getting any conviction. But Jacob, who was dishonest, had conviction all the time. He kept coming back to God to the point where he wrestled with God says, you better bless me. Esau didn't want to do that. Esau was like, revenge, it's mine. You took it and never ever had, you know what? It's the worst place to be when God lifts his hand from you and says, do what you want. Worst place to be. Worst place to be. It's like a little kid with a mother and father and says, you know what, little kid, you're eight years old and you're not listening to me, do what you want. And they let him go. What would happen to that kid? That's what he did to Esau. So, you know, if that's what you want to be, Esau, it's yours. So we don't want to, we're not, but, but guess what? We're not orphans. An orphan is without a father. But we are children of God, amen? And the presence of God lives inside you, amen? And his spirit lives inside you. And he said, listen to me, this is how, this is how good we've got it. In Hebrews it says we have a better covenant, a better high priest, and a, and a, and a better testament. We had a better sacrifice. We got everything better. Even to the point where he says, John the Baptist, a man born under the law. 
John the Baptist is the greatest person to be born from a woman. Jesus said, the greatest person to ever be born of a woman is John the Baptist. I could have picked 10 others, but he picked him. And he said, but the least in my kingdom is greater than John. What's he saying? John was a man still under the law. John was a man still not born again. John was a man who died under the law. But you and I are born under the new covenant. In other words, the Old Testament saints will, when you get to heaven, he's going to tap you on the shoulder and, and Abraham's going to tap you on the shoulder and Moses is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside you? Because they couldn't have it. Think about that for a second. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, Esau, uh, not Esau, uh, Joseph, all this, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they're going to say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit live inside you, David? Because we dreamt of that. He said, Jesus said, what is happening to you, they were longing for that, to see that day. And yet we look at it and we say, let's just take, let's go without the ark. But the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And I'm here to encourage you tonight that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Because this message is for you to understand how precious you are to Him. How valuable you are to Him. Because He, he doesn't need you, He wants you. And we have to walk in His kingdom. Not as babies. It's a time to grow up. And you know, one step at a time, I say to people, one step at a time. See, maturing is not knowing more about God. Maturing is to know who God is. To have fellowship with Him. And that's the beauty about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's well balanced. And you know what? The Spirit of God is speaking to people here tonight and saying, you know what? Other people are doing some great things for the kingdom. They are. I know a lot of people around the world doing amazing things. But you know, I have to come back and say, but God, what have you asked me to do? What have you asked me to do? What has God asked you to do? What is going to ask you to lay down for Him? Because whatever you lay down, listen to me, whatever he, you lay down, whatever you lay down, and He wants you to lay it down, is only going to benefit you later. You might say, well, I lay down my career. If He asks you to, lay it down. See, we need to become dead to self so He can live in us. I know you hear this a lot here, hey? But if you die, He lives. Because the presence of the Almighty God wants to invade your life, your family, your church, our church. He wants to do it. He's not looking at us with binoculars working out how much sin you got in your life. He doesn't do that. You know the beauty about God in the New Testament? It says you judge yourself. You judge it. Because in the Old Testament, no matter how much they judge themselves, they still have to get a lamb, a goat, a sheep to be sacrificed. But under the new covenant, we're under the blood. He's judged yourself. So I don't have to judge you. How good is that, amen? That the Holy Spirit's inside you. And we walk in His presence. We carry His presence by the Holy Spirit that lives in your nature. That's how much He loves you. He has taken that, that people would go in and die for, and placed it in you by faith. That's how good our Father is. And no matter what you're struggling with, bring it to Him. And some of you here just need to believe that God loves you. He's not here to hurt you. He's not here to command something from you that you cannot do. God has asked of things from me over my life. I could never, if I was to think about it 
10 years ago, I would have thought, man, that would have been too hard. But when you look back and thought, it wasn't that hard. You know why? Because as I grew in Him, I start to trust Him. And whatever His ways are better than my ways. And at the time, it might hurt. It might be, it might be tough. But guess what? When you look back and think, I never thought I could get through that. But He always gets us through. He always gets us through. Amen. He always gets us through. Amen. He's, been, he's risen and gone before us. Amen. That's how much He loves you. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You. We love You. We honor You and we worship You. You're our King. You're our Lord. And You're our Father. And I thank You, Father, for Your presence. I thank You, Father, that You never left us nor You'll ever forsake us. It's not my power and nor by my might, but it's by Your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we honour You here tonight. We worship You. We give You all the praise. We thank You for all Your what you have done and what you're about to do. Give us a heart to see what the kingdom of God has for us. Lord, you, you came to seek and save the lost. We were all lost. Someone said to me, you found God, Tony. No, nah. God was never lost. I was. He found me. And He touched me. He touched you. Who just wants to be on the outer court, saved? We want to be in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a place for just one person, only the high priest. And today you and I can go into that place one-on-one, -on -one, just you and Him. That's a promise from the Father. So Lord, I thank You for tonight. I thank You we can carry Your presence as a body. You are the head. We're the body. Let your mercy fall upon us. Lord, we repent of our sin. We repent of our unbelief. We repent of our disobedience. And Lord, we ask you to teach us. The children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. Teach us your ways. Let us die that you may live. I bless every person here tonight. Let your hand be upon them. Speak to them, Father. Speak to them in the areas of their life. Speak to them with your love and mercy. God does not condemn, but God brings beautiful conviction to bring us into righteousness and holiness. You must draw near to God. He's worthy of all praise. I thank you for your wonderful leading, Lord. I give you all the glory. I give you all the honor. I give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray you get something that the Spirit is trying to show you. The greatest person that knows what you want is the Holy Spirit that's in you. Spend time with Him. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you on Sunday. Bless you guys.